This is Radio ANA, broadcasting on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We are Annalise and Arnie, talking about community and individual responses to harm, transformative justice, accountability, safety, support and healing and prison abolition within and challenging dominator culture. We would like to acknowledge Aboriginal elders past and present and to acknowledge and honour the resistance of First Nations people across these lands.
was Sigur Ross with a song called Vaka. Hi everyone, it's Annelise on Radio A&A and in this episode we are exploring our learnings and reflections on transformative justice informed community responses to harm and we are focusing on our responses to people using family violence, intimate partner violence and sexual assault. So briefly, when we are talking about transformative justice-informed community responses to harm, we are focusing on a framework where we all have a collective responsibility when it comes to responding to the use of violence uh, and also the impacts of that use of violence. And so Annie and I will be exploring our learnings from doing transformative justice interventions and they can take many different forms. Um, Some of those are, you know, supporting survivors around healing and safety um, and working with the person who has caused harm to to 
work towards accountability, you know, building friendship groups, community, social groups, capacities uh, to respond to harm, as well as um, heal and also to uh, work on their own accountability uh, for any harm that um, we may have been complicit in. If you're wanting to know more about transformative justice uh, community responses, you're welcome to contact us and we will send you some resources. Uh, the reason why we talk about uh, transformative justice-informed community responses is because we're not just talking about the absence of the state and violence, but within that, that there is a presence of like values and practices, ethics, and the ways in which we are trying to challenge and resist dominator culture. So these interventions uh, look differently for each different person or friendship group. It might be, you know, someone just talking to their friend. It might be um, where an external facilitator is asked to join to help facilitate conversations with the person or friendship groups. Or it might be that friendship groups learn and build skills together to learn how to uh, better respond to each other when harm occurs. So we're going to explore the ways in which we have these conversations and our frameworks for how we approach them. Our learnings are particularly based on interventions that we have been part of in punk, queer and activists communities, scenes, friendship groups. Before we start, we want to honour the lives of all past and recent uh, deaths in custody, particularly thinking about the past week and the impacts of the criminal legal system and to send our thoughts to uh, their families and friends who are very much experiencing quite a lot of pain and loss and grief right now. Often when we're talking about yeah, things like um, transformative justice or, you know, community responses to violence. It can seem really, really divorced from a lot of the things we talk about um, or see in terms of the criminal legal system and the ways that people are dehumanised and treated and what that actually leads to death. And, yeah, to kind of ground why is it that we actually even want to think about different ways that support might look like, different ways that change might look, and what does it actually mean to do these things in a way that isn't dehumanising, which is sort of an interesting thought and reflection, I guess. Yeah, even thinking on ways ways I've engaged, mm-hmm. um, particularly in community responses earlier in my time, and I think one of the things um, we both wanted to talk a bit about today in terms of reflections and learnings was you know, some of those things that have come maybe from, from working in a service sector or working in different sort of spaces as well as doing different sorts of responses and s- supporting people around change or around intervention in the community. But how to kind of draw these different experiences together to to actually think about doing less harm <laughs> and supporting more possibilities for difference in our broader community networks Mm. and maybe on that uh, maybe I want to dedicate the show to um, someone called Rachel who might be listening 
Um, and Rachel said something today that was quite profound. Um, she said to me, she was talking about prisons. She said that they take away everything from us and then they also take away our friends. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, the harm that prisons cause, but also when we're talking tonight about community responses to harm, there is often this idea of people no longer deserving to have friends, you know, people who've caused harm and what that kind of does to, to someone and to people. And so, yeah, what it means to kind of build connection rather than take it away. Um, and as you said, trying to cause less harm rather than more harm. Mm. You know, one of the one of the biggest reflections I've had, you know, we've spoken about this a lot, but in recent years is, you know, a reflection on even myself and when I've done something that I'm embarrassed about or ashamed of or perhaps didn't even realise at the time was hurtful or maybe did, you know, and then my responses and how long sometimes it has taken me to to accept that in myself and therefore acknowledge it to others and do anything about it. And yet the very contradictory expectation I might have had at various times that once somebody is made aware of harm that they've caused, they should just be able to flip it immediately and acknowledge it. And thinking about, well, you know, all the things in this world about how we imagine, why we imagine harm happening, how we sort of categorise people who use violence and label people and all the ways that things are set up such that it's very, very difficult mm -hmm. to acknowledge when you're anything other than perfect a lot of the time in this world or pure, this idea of good as opposed to evil. and Or innocent. Yeah, innocent rather than guilty. And then thinking about, you know, what does it actually mean to think about a journey of change or a journey of acknowledgement in the ways that we, yeah, support people who've used violence to move towards different possibilities in their lives and relationships in the community and thinking that when I work you know working in the service sector or when I first have a conversation with somebody who's used violence I I expect that they probably are not in a place where they're going to talk about all the violence they've used acknowledge all the things that they've done in fact especially if they've been through the legal system or anything like that they're probably really pissed off, that's their focus and at the same time holding that that doesn't mean that that's where somebody will stay and I think it's interesting to look back on a lot of times when I've been speaking to friends or um, people in my general community, communities and in the first conversation if they haven't shared all the things that I already know about what they've done then I've written them off as though that's done. I guess I didn't understand that change was a process <laughs> and a journey. Like really when I'm thinking about the early days of doing community responses and working alongside people who caused harm, I, I really didn't have a comprehension around change as that, that there wasn't this kind of end point and that it was like not linear and I didn't have an understanding that like when people minimise or excuse or blame 
like I have when I've done something that I feel ashamed about, I didn't have an understanding that that's like an understandable response. I saw those things as, well, that person isn't like owning their shit and like what, like they know what they've done. Why are they trying to like make it seem less than or blame the other person or or deny, completely deny that it's, you know, I thought people should have a consciousness about it. And then I worked with them with that idea that they should have that consciousness. And I think over the years, like in realising that change (laughs) is a journey, like I think in this world where I definitely wasn't taught how to do accountability from when I was young, I was taught the opposite. Like I was taught to lie, to minimize, to kind of look around and see if you can blame someone else like in the room, even for like silly things like farts. (laughs) (laughs) Like you don't get taught to just be like, excuse me. You get taught to be like, she did it. (laughs) Like just these like minor things that are like so entrenched in, I would say the cultures I grew up in, which is not to ever take responsibility. Look anywhere else and try and put it on someone else or totally deny it and lie. And so I grew up in that. And if many of us have grown up with that, if not pretty much all of us have grown up in that culture, then it makes sense that for violence or anything that we do that we're ashamed of, that we might have these responses. And so like learning that has meant that I now have patience for those responses rather than times in my life where I would be kind of frustrated or like surprised that people were responding in that way and or like really dismissive dismissive that hadn't come to their consciousness yet whereas in thinking about things now I think like it kind of makes sense that people are responding in that way and part of our work alongside people is to kind of support them through those responses to um, hopefully have like a different preferred way to kind of see and acknowledge their use of violence. Yeah and I think it's you know what happens you know or the outcome of some of those sort of expectations of immediate reflection or immediate acknowledgement or yeah confession essentially is a few things like one the sort of linking that confession means change which I think you know even in myself I look at heaps of patterns that I have heaps of habits that I'd like to change and I'm very aware of those Mm. patterns but that awareness doesn't that's not actually I'm still doing the same (laughs) thing (laughs) to be honest you know as most of my friends all know it can kind of lead to, depending on somebody, how somebody's friends respond to them or perceive them, either, okay, there's a confession now, that's the end, let's forget all about this happening, or there's no confession and therefore that gives the community a license to move into punishment, you know, and take away things Mm. from the person, you know, remove a person from areas or places not actually for the purposes necessarily of safety, but because there's an idea that until they've confessed, they are bad. But then once you've confessed, I don't know, it's like different. But neither of that really leads to any kind of shifting in that person's views or in any of the rest of the views that probably supported 
the harm, the violence that was caused. It's interesting then what happens like if we have this sort of expectations about how somebody's supposed to respond and when they don't respond in that way, essentially we kind of give up. Mm. So, you know, and then in the giving up and in the punishing or in the taking away of things to attempt to coerce not so much change but generally a confession, you know, we do do things that probably lead people into a place where it's a lot harder to actually accept these things that are really harmful and awful that people have done. You know, so, for example, isolate people, remove all of their coping strategies, make people feel like everybody's against them, you know, give a licence to sort of talk to them in an aggressive way or something like this, and then expect that in that place people will then be able to do probably the most difficult work of their Mm. life, which is accepting that they've probably acted in ways that really, really deeply goes against everything that they believe and care about. So, yeah, it's like, you know, what does it kind of mean to actually approach people thinking, okay, like, in the interests of you but also of safety and also of the rest of the community, what actually is going to reduce the likelihood that you're going to continue this harm? You know, is it isolating you? Or is it forcing you to confess? Or is it something else? You know, what does it actually look like to support people through that sort of process and, like, have patience with people's journey but, you know, and responses but support people to see that perhaps as a shame response rather than to actually sit in excuse? But, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, what are the different actual outcomes of some of these expectations? Like, sometimes I would definitely say that when people presented, like, with, you know, without the immediate confession or with defensiveness or blame or denial or minimization, I saw that as who they were, which, you know, if we're thinking about doing work that isn't dehumanising, that dehumanises someone, like, it makes them, it totalises them. I know the violence um, and the harm caused, which can never be taken back, has really, you know, severe impacts. But I think so So does how we, not to the same level, but so does the way that we work alongside people. Yeah, when you said, Arnie, like what kind of could open up opportunities for reflection, I think when we kind of totalise people, it, it really shuts down any space for, for that person really to be able to reflect. Because even if I'm thinking about myself, like the... The most open I am to reflection is when I'm not feeling backed into a corner. Um, And I know that's my work to do, to like feel open to feedback, to, you know, be open to, you know, receiving like the actions that I've done that may have hurt people. Um, And I have to do that work, but I do feel like it can be made (laughs) easier by like, and like not just easier, but like more like generative or something when other people are there like supporting that rather than kind of reducing the person to just like these kind of actions or reducing them to their response and I definitely have done that in the past and I think yeah if it's if it's a one of the big learnings for me is like to stop reducing people and to try and understand like um, how they are responding and to not to understand it in a way that excuses it, understand it in a way that helps me to like lean towards them rather than away from them. Because I I do have a belief that probably like the most, 
useful I can be to the person is to um, be working alongside them and not distance myself from them. There's so much in what you said and I would, was thinking many things but wondering if we should listen to another song yes. for a minute first. What shall we listen to? How about Prospects with Terrifying World? Yes, I love this new, newish band from some of our friends, um, Javiz and Vanessa in Singapore. We love their new band. on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs 
on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. You've been listening to Radio ANA and we are talking just about some of our learnings and reflections on community responses to harm-informed by transformative justice with a focus on talking about working with and alongside people who use violence. And we were talking about, yeah, like maybe reflections on past ways or past expectations we might have had um, going into, you know, conversations with people who've used violence and talking about perceiving, minimising, denying, blaming type responses as maybe like a symbol that someone was essentially shit or something like this and responses but I wonder yeah like unless um what do you think are some things that are useful in working with people when people are really in this place of sort of denying blaming harm that they've caused I think there's a few things that I found useful one is definitely what we've already spoken about, which is kind of changing my thinking around those things. So like thinking that we just, we do live in a world where we kind of haven't learnt how to do accountability. So it kind of makes sense that pretty much all of us present <laughs> in these sorts of ways. But second is sometimes those responses are actually telling us something about the person's like preferred ways of being because they're having a response, right, to to whatever is happening. So whether it's their friend um, has kind of been talking to them or whatever ways that they have discovered uh, about their use of violence. So in community responses, it's, you know, oftentimes a friend or someone else in, you know, the scene or community or friendship group. And then that person is kind of responding with these things that we sometimes find uncomfortable. But to have a response in the first place actually just tells us a lot about someone's preferred ways of being. To not have a response would be quite concerning. But to have like to have a response or a strong response like that means that the, the there is something in there. And so I would try and be interested in that. So for example, like if somebody is you know, minimising, denying blame, I would now be doing a lot of listening and listening in a way that builds trust and not listening to kind of confirm a story or a narrative, but listening to like find things that the person is saying to me um, where I think, oh, actually, like this is telling me something about them or their lives or their values, like their values of like connection or their values of like accountability or their values of um, nonviolence or their, you know, their values around trust, their values around respect. I would be like listening, hopefully very um, 
in a, yeah, in an attuned way to try and find any of these openings. And I think that does require a whole bunch of patience. And also, I guess there are skills there in like what I would be asking questions around, you know, because I'm not, I'm not just listening in terms of validation. Yeah, like I said, I am kind of looking for things as to like what might be um, useful to explore with the person, but in a way that hopefully makes them not feel shut down, in a way that makes them want to kind of work more with me and feel that we're like building trust. And in terms of like defensiveness, like I think there's a lot there around building trust with the person and you know, depending on the relationship that you have, like if it's a friend, then I would be kind of thinking about ask them questions around, you know, times where they haven't felt so defensive, times in their life, not be related to use of violence. It could be related to anything else in ways that they might have impacted someone and figuring out like what, how we can kind of do this work together so that like their defensiveness is like less present or less strong and what would work for them in that and the ways that I can kind of support them and like what would happen if like defensiveness like popped up again you know what can we do when like it presents itself how can we um, work together to tell defensiveness to go away or to be smaller there's many other things but I'll leave it there Hmm. yeah I think you know there's so much in what you were saying that relates to something I was thinking about Actually, in terms of what does it mean to engage with people, even people who are close to us or with ourselves, where, yeah, harms that have been caused are really confronting and we don't want to lessen our awareness or acknowledge of that. We don't want to pretend that those aren't happening or, or centre the acknowledgement of the impacts of actions and yet not dehumanise, not pretend that that is, as you are saying before, with the totalising all of someone. Or something I was thinking about with that is that, you know, I think in the past perhaps I had a thinking that when people, you know, used violence, it was always extremely consciously or extremely intentionally or something with a conscious intention. And I think, you know, that sometimes that's absolutely the case And yet there can be really different levels of consciousness around that sort of stuff. And when I was speaking to people, I was wanting them to acknowledge and describe a conscious decision to do something hurtful or harmful, which often people couldn't connect with because there's this whole other parts of someone, which is what they care about, what's important to them, You know, when they're thinking about, like, who they want to be in a few years' time, like, the answer to that question, it's usually not, you know, in an abusive relationship where I'm hurting my partner. It's generally not going to be the answer to anyone's question. And I think I didn't give myself permission to see that in people, even when I knew it was Mm. there. Sometimes maybe because of feeling worried about, like, judgment from others in the community, wanting to be seen myself as on the right side Mm. (laughs) or something you know this kind of purity of um being someone I didn't cause harm I did the right thing 
And so a lot of those responses that you were sort of talking about to something like minimizing or denying or blaming, things that can be really hard to hear, especially when, if you, you know, you kind of know that know all the people involved, you know the impacts of what's happened. It can be so difficult to hear that kind of stuff, you know, from, from someone. But actually giving myself permission to see further into a person and hear more, as you're saying, in what in what's being said <laughs> outside of just words and also to ask about that you know after you've heard someone's story or after you've kind of been around with someone like what is it that what kind of partner or lover or whatever are they actually wanting to be you know what does it look like to have these conversations that hold the complexities both of things that people have done that have harmful and perhaps probably things that they've done that have made contributions to the lives of people around them in ways that do match what they care about. But yeah, like how do I kind of, in building a relationship with someone, find out more, not just about what happened on a particular day or particular time, but on what they've kind of carried in to a relationship or experience, what they've kind of been wanting to achieve, what what they want to be able to leave experiences with lovers thinking and what they want the other person to be able to leave thinking and feeling you know and are there ways to kind of work through or what does that look like to try and work towards that are there times that you didn't quite meet that and what feelings does that bring up for you you know when we have these feelings do you notice yourself responding in certain ways and also this you know something I've kind of really thought about or noticed in some of the you know conversations or things I've been doing with and alongside people using violence recently is the more I've been able to see all the complicated parts of people, the more I've also been able to be honest with people about going, you know, just want to let you know, like every time we have this conversation, you just focus on your partner and talk about all the things that she's doing badly. And I wonder what that's about for you. But that person's probably not going to hear that from me unless they believe and feel that I actually see many different parts Mm. of them and believe that they are many different things and are also capable of many different things. And it's so interesting how even kind of like a similar or same sentence Mm. (laughs) sounds completely different depending on how they feel with me. Not that they feel that I'm on their side or believe their story, but that I see multiple parts of them. And that I'm going to be real with them because I have respect for them as a person, despite having no respect for what people, mm. harmful behaviours that people have done. And so, yeah, is there like a connection that, you know, outside of punishment, outside of when somebody does something harmful, that becomes them and therefore they are less than? What does it mean to, to still see them as valuable <laughs> in this world and having many complex different parts? Yeah, I think that work of, like, finding value in people is really, really difficult in this world that, like we've talked about, we kind of are recruited into power over and and in dehumanising others and into othering people. And so we're, we're quite skilled at, at not valuing people. And especially not valuing people that we we kind of consider to have like that have done something bad, but yeah, I do think that 
having an ethic that everyone like deserves to like live and like deserves to have connection and everyone deserves to have like generative lives that hopefully there's some amount of happiness in there or joy whatever you want to call it I think it it is so important to have that but I, I think it is very very difficult to hold on to that but I think part of what helps me to do that is to hold on to those ethics is it is getting to know the person and, and it is getting to see that that person has ideas and sometimes they're not lived ideas, sometimes they're just their, their ideas, but has ideas around their preferred ways of, of living. And if we're able to hopefully talk and explore all those and then explore the contradictions you know, when they're, they've got these preferred ways of, um, you know, respecting their partner or lover um, and there's a contradiction there around their behaviours not being respectful. But, yeah, getting to the point, I think, where we can kind of explore those contradictions to then, yeah, think about what might the person need to move towards to be able to, to actually be living how they want to um, live in terms of their own values. But, yeah, I think I do need to continue to do the work of seeing people as as worthy as deserving otherwise if we don't have that I think it's incredibly difficult actually to be useful to people who have used violence Mm. yeah and interesting I guess to like zoom out and think about those kinds of things even in the context of what we're speaking about in the past like you know if we really want to not be indoctrinated into this idea that the created by the prison system and the punishment system yeah then this often this stuff of being able to see people as worthy is like the deepest work and it kind of it's very unromantic it's very like challenging and controversial in a whole lot of different ways and yet yeah it's also interesting like one of the things I've often like more recently reflected on or thought about is the contradiction in my own values and actions where on the one hand a lot of these kinds of things including like gendered violence sexual violence I can see as a product of cultures and systems that we live in you know like systems of domination systems of hierarchy systems of dehumanizing people according to particular categories they're put into based on multiple different things and that people are recruited or pulled into these ideas as they grow up about who they are you know and what that means in terms of their power in relation to others and entitlement to be able to treat others in certain ways and yet you know whilst I think that then when it actually comes to you know, individual experiences, especially closer to home of like friends or, you know, family or things like this, where people have pretty unsurprisingly in a lot of ways acted out the same violences that are sort of happening on a a broader scale. I find it hard to kind of see that experience as outside of that individual and see response to that or change that from outside of that individual person and like yeah it's like you know how do you kind of complicate this thing where you know we all make choices to do things every Mm. single day and absolutely not wanting to take away from that the choice to use violence not everybody does do that 
And yet, at the same time, then some choices are much easier to make than others in context and situation based on what's normal to you, how you think about yourself, how you think about others, and often how, how you think hasn't just come from your brain. <laughs> it's come from everything that's been put into your brain over all these sorts of years, such that, like, to have relationships that are built on equality rather than control or domination is rare in this world actually and so it's like yeah like (laughs) how do we resist the temptation to reproduce hierarchies and dominations and how do we see this work you know together and alongside people who are using violence in intimate relationships or you know sexual experiences as part of that challenge you know, like creating space to actually resist a lot of these messages and ideas and resist being the people that we're almost expected to be in certain ways. And if I think about that, does that actually change how I talk to people who have done things that are confronting towards me? And does it change the way I look at myself when I do things that I'm like, oh my God, how did I do that? You know, maybe maybe in time (laughs) but yeah like you know what does it mean to even approach like the way we do community responses is still so individualized where you know somebody does something and then the work is with that one person you know the conversations the you know what's labeled accountability process happens with this one person when you know even that particular instance of harm like obviously that person did a really particular thing and yet it's probably not the only person who's using that form of violence in the extended friendship network or in the subcultural community or in the organization or whatever kind of context it's in and what does it mean for that one person to try and change what they're doing without the rest of their support network friends community also being part of that and doing that together if what we're actually trying to do is think about what it means to change these kinds of like violent cultures and even this um the kind of outsourcing Arnie that we've talked about where understandably in many ways like friends might not feel that they have the skills of like working alongside their friend who's used violence but then they you know ask or someone else to kind of facilitate some sort of community response And I think this kind of adds to this individualism thing because it's like, I don't know, something that I think I like I'm passionate about is like upskilling friendship groups um, so that friends are having the conversation with each other, not someone that you kind of don't know well, even though I think that's possible as well and um, useful to, to build that trust over time and with different people but I think it's like super useful when (laughs) friendship groups can do that work together because like you said like that I'm certain that it's not just one person that is arranging power in their relationships where it means that sometimes they have more power over someone else there's probably many people and so yeah if we're not kind of doing that work together then we are perpetuating the idea that only some people are bad and violent people rather than yeah that we've all been recruited into dominator culture and whilst we all make different choices in that for sure like you said before the consciousness around that is is kind of interesting to think about and what choice is in terms of like when we're 
recruited very much into a particular way to have power over and use our entitlement to like think that we have a deservedness for certain things what is choice in that and how we can have more people in communities friendship groups working together around consciousness Mm. around our choices and all of our entitlements like me as a settler here it's not just um, entitlement thinking in one in one kind of aspect of our lives there's many ways that many of us hold it Mm. yeah and also are kind of taught in these different ways like that you need to hold some power over someone else to have more value or worth as a human. And so that's the kind of challenge too, isn't it? Where it's like, well, you know, how do, <laughs> how do we challenge that? Like in every single aspect of these like interactions and relationships where, you know, and so that we're not replicating that also in, in the name of accountability for violence, you know, so that I'm not feeling better about myself by coercing someone who's used Mm. violence into do the thing that I think that they should do because I somehow know better and so that instead we're actually talking together well what do we all think respect means (laughs) what what have we learned that it is you know what what are we all kind of hoping for in our relationships and what are the challenges that we're kind of facing in that what what kind of stories can we kind of share to learn from each other in these sorts of things? So, yeah, it's like, you know, in many ways, especially when things seem hard, it becomes harder to do things that are experimental mm. or different. And yet things that aren't experimental or different in this world often are reproducing the same dynamics that we're wanting not to live under anymore so yeah and with what you were saying before about like fear of judgment like I think that is something because in any communities that are wanting to work alongside people who use violence like I think we do need to do some sort of work around that like like in ourselves and also like as groups of people so that people actually want to do that work with their friends and themselves and aren't scared of it because if people are kind of scared then of their own ostracization then it's it's really difficult to like I don't know yeah to do any kind of sort of transformative change stuff if we're all scared to do it and that's just not very useful for anyone particularly for people experiencing violence if no one actually wants to or is too too worried, I guess, about judgment or to, to do that work. And instead, what's celebrated or what's not celebrated, but what's kind of, I don't know what the word is, but what's seen as good is to kind of wash your hands or something of, of the person as the problem. Mm. And that's, yeah, yes. Yeah, well, as you say, like with all of these sorts of things, it's like, you know, we're thinking about why why (laughs) try something different it's like often because all of these forms of you know interacting and what you know trying to do community responses or all these sorts of things in a lot of these ways that replicate aspects of the criminal legal system or aspects of dominated culture 
generally doesn't lead to less violence occurring and generally doesn't lead to, you know, increased support for survivors of violence or generally doesn't, you know, lead to people going on to have positive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) supportive and um, not violent relationships. So, yeah, like what (laughs) – often when we talk about these kinds of things, I think it's like easy to sort of go, oh, the focus is all on people who use violence. It's like an excuse instead of going, well, but what is the impact on reinforcing a lot of these sorts of dynamics through the way that we respond on people experiencing violence? Generally not a good one. But, yeah, I think that's often missing from some of these conversations about why do something different. But it's the end of the show. <laughs> you have been listening to Radio ANA, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. I hope you have a lovely time tonight. And we're going to go out. This song is Anthony and the Johnsons with a song called Rapture. Falling, lips are falling, hair is falling to the ground. Slowly, softly, falling, falling, down in silence to the ground. All the world is falling, falling. Teardrops falling to the ground Teardrops I'm talking about your teardrops
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.